For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bible with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, I'll begin reading at verse 1 to verse 13. Verses 1 to 7 will constitute my sermon text for this morning. This will be the last of the three sermons on welcoming one another. I began a few weeks ago on chapter 14, verse 1, and I'm going to conclude it here at chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. Uh, just kind of give you some uh, info. I will begin a sermon series uh, next week on the epistle of James. So I'll just kind of give you a heads up of where we're going uh, in the future on the, in the morning services. This evening we'll continue our sermon series through the catechism as we look at uh, the foreshadowing of the sacrificial laws pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this evening we look at the grain offering. So this morning we want to look at Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Let us now hear God's word. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. As for the reading of God's holy word, may it is blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus describes a unique characteristic of his sheep. And he does this in the gospel. Particularly, we see this in John's writings. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is our Lord and Savior, we will keep his commandments. That is, we will love one another. And Paul picks up on Jesus' theme, Jesus' command in chapter 13, and I read that a few weeks ago, chapter 13, beginning at verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments you shall love or you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul follows 
his Savior's teaching. We owe it to one another. We're indebted to one another. You can never pay that great debt of love for one another. In a positive sense, love one another. We owe it to one another. We're obligated. Paul picks up on this theme through chapter 14, and he continues it in chapter 15. Chapter 14, verse 1, what did we read? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And what do we hear in this morning's text at verse 7? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The theme here is welcoming one another. And in this particular section, he's emphasizing Christian unity. He emphasized before in chapter 14 more so of the welcoming one another and then not passing judgment on one another. And now it's Christian unity, the unity of God's people and its chief end. God is glorified. God is glorified when God's people live in unity with one another under the headship and lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's say that again. God is glorified when God's people live in unity with one another under the one Lord, under the headship of Jesus Christ. And there are three important points that Jesus or that Paul brings out in chapter 15. Please your neighbor, please one another, live in harmony with one another, welcome one another. He brings it back to welcoming one another. Love demands that God's people live in unity with one another, with Christ being the head and Lord of the church. First, we want to look at let each of us please his neighbor. Here we have the obligation of the strong Chapter 15, look with me in your Bible at verse 1. Paul says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That is, the strong owes it to the weak to bear with them. Literally, the verse says that the strong owes it. They're obligated by the law of love The strong owes it to the weakness of the weak to bear their burdens. If you want to be more literal here, Paul says the strong owes it to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength. That is, those who are weak in faith. That's the more literal from the original language. The strong carries up or takes up the weaknesses of the weak as if they are his own. (laughs) That's quite a calling, isn't it? It's quite a calling. The strong have a moral obligation because this is under the law of love. We have a moral obligation 
to bear with the weaknesses of the weak, to tolerate the failings of the weak, to shoulder their burdens with them. Look with me at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to carry or bear his own load. The strong are obligated to bear with the weaknesses or failings or shortcomings of the weak. To come alongside them, to encourage them, to build them up. But notice what Paul said to the Galatians, each one must carry his own load. Each one must carry his own load. You can't dump your life on somebody else. Only Jesus has the power and ability to take it all upon himself. But no, when the community comes together, and we bear it together, then it's profitable for all. I was thinking about this. How can, how can this be illustrated? What does this look like? I, I enjoy watching the military train. Like, for example, Navy SEALs have always fascinated me especially the type of training they endure. If you've ever seen a Navy SEAL train, <laughs> it humbles me. Like, wow, I'm really weak. <laughs> but one of the training exercises that they do is that they have to carry a huge tree log. Maybe you've seen this. They have to march and even jog with a huge, heavy tree log. And a Navy SEAL team a team of trainees, will each be on that log carrying it. And you will have weak Navy SEALs who will fall during this training exercise. But the stronger ones have to come alongside and lift the, the weight that the other one's not carrying. The one who's not able to carry as much still has to carry his own load. But the stronger one comes along and he, he musters it for the other trainee. There's another exercise they do where they have to sit down on their butts with their feet facing out and they're holding the same log. And as the tide comes in, it throws them back and they have a heavy log. And if they go back, they'll drown. Again, the strong must bear the burden of the weak. But each one has to carry his own load. And Paul is saying that love demands that the strong come alongside the weak in faith, the weak in conscience, the weak that have trouble understanding the liberty that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come alongside them 
to teach and instruct. Love demands that we please our neighbor. We willing, that this means that we willingly serve others in order to win them over at the expense of our own pleasure. We are denying self-pleasure to win over the weak to a proper understanding and application of God's word. Now, that said, we are not to be man-pleasers. Maybe you hear me pray that. Lord, we pray that we will not be man-pleasers. There's a difference between pleasing your neighbor and being a man-pleaser. A man-pleaser is one who does it where the glory of God is not in sight. It's for one to feel good about themselves, to receive praise from man and not from God. But when we please one another, when we please our neighbor, we glorify God. When we please our neighbor in the way that God commands us to do it in a spirit of love and unity, we are doing it to the glory of God. Now the strong in faith doesn't tolerate the tyranny of the weak, nor is is the obligation of the strong. Now listen carefully here. That all said, it's not the obligation of the strong to give the church to the weak so that the church is run by weak in faith. Otherwise, the church will not know true Christian liberty and freedom in Christ and man-made rules and opinions will dominate The obligation of the strong is to bear with the weaknesses of the weak, those without strength. And the goals of the command are, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So that the weak become strong. Going back to the Navy SEAL exercise, They do this exercise daily. And as the weak fails perhaps in many times at the beginning of the exercise, but when they continue on, when the strong bears their burdens and helps them along, in weeks to come, the weaker become what? Stronger. And that is the goal. It is for their good. It is for the good of the weak that the strong come alongside the weak to help them, disciple them. God, by His grace, sanctified the strong. Think about this. Those who are strong in faith have been sanctified, set apart by God to serve the weak. Because the strong were weak at one point themselves. The strong owe it to the weak because they too were once weak in faith. They owe it to the weak because they know who they are apart from grace in Christ. So God, by His grace, sanctified the strong to understand the teachings of Scripture and to apply it in their lives in such a way that the practice of the strong doesn't convict or violate the conscience of the weak, but rather exhorts them through teaching 
of Scripture. One commentator said this, listen carefully, it is for their good, that is, it is for the weak's good not to be urged to do what they cannot do with a good conscience. And we talked about that last week. But it is not good for their good, it is not for their good to have any part of the will of God concealed from them. So it's not good to violate their conscience, but it's also not good to conceal the truth of God's revealed word and teach and instruct them. Friends, love demands that we please our neighbor for their good and for their building up, for their edification in faith. Where, where are you? Would you place yourself in the category of, category of strong in faith or weak in faith? We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Where are you? What is the foundation of your faith built upon? What is the practice of your faith built upon? Man-made opinions and traditions or upon the word of God and the freedom and liberty we have in Christ? Where are you? I've had to ask myself that question. Because you know what? In the course of the Christian life, we can be both. <laughs> right? R.C. Sproul once said that if I were to go to a church that believed or practiced everything that I believed or practiced, I would be alone. And that is so true. And so as iron sharpens, sharpens an iron, so one man sharpens another. Where do I need to be sharpened? Where am I weak in faith? Where is somebody carrying my burden and where I need to be stronger in faith? Love demands that we please our neighbor for our good and for our building up in the faith. It's not good. It's not pleasing to the Lord to stand idly by. That is not good. And that is not pleasing. But this also means that the weak in faith must humble themselves under the leadership of the strong. You see, it's a two-way street. Now let's look, pleasing your neighbor in the suffering of our Savior. Please one another, look to the suffering of our Savior. Verse 3, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches or reviling of those who reproached or reviled you fell on me. Paul references Psalm 69. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. A reproach is an unjustified or undeserved insult or taunt. This psalm looked forward to the Christ who would suffer because he was a servant of his Father and God. He endured the revilings of man. 
like David, who wrote the psalm, being a servant of God, was taunted and insulted. Jesus, when he cleansed the temple, said, my house should be a house of prayer. The zeal for my house has consumed me. And Jesus was reviled and taunted and attacked and ultimately went to the cross and was reviled and spit upon and hated and despised. And he did it for sinners. He did it so you and I can be accepted by the Father, forgiven of our sins. And so the suffering of our Savior is that example for us of why we ought to please one another. Our Lord Jesus Christ is first and foremost our Savior before He is our example. He is first our Lord before He is our example, but we know Him and confess Him as Lord and Savior, and we look to Him as an example and how He willingly obeyed the Father and assumed the human nature so that He would suffer, not pleasing Himself. This is sacrifice. The Christian life is sacrifice. The very thing that goes against our nature. Think about it. Isn't self-denial one of the hardest things that you can do in your very soul and being? How selfish are we that we want to please ourselves? Oh, I know I wrestle with it daily. Don't you? The author of Hebrews writes, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and and bear the reproach he endured. Like the Lord Jesus who, who humbled himself and didn't please himself and endured revilings, we too bear, bear, with the weaknesses. Of the weak. If Christ who is holy. Righteous and good. And suffered reproach and insults. Didn't use his messianic authority. He didn't use his messianic authority. To please himself. In his earthly ministry. We are called. To not use our liberty. Our freedom our calling to please ourselves, but rather to please our neighbor for our neighbor's good and edification. Is it too hard then, Roman church? Is it too hard to give up meat and drink, to give up these man-made things that are good but cause my brother to stumble? Is Is it not good to give those up for the sake of my brother who's weak? Is it not good to give some things up for the sake of Christian unity and love? Will not compromising the truth, doctrinal truth? So we see the command there to please one another. Secondly, live in harmony with one another. Verse 4, 
through verse 6, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture and the God of Scripture are the sources. Scripture, the Old Testament Paul is referring to here, the Old Testament was written for the instruction and edification and encouragement for God's people. Let's keep in mind that back in this day, the churches didn't have the Bible like we have it today. So they're hearing this afresh. That's an important point. Paul's teaching them that the scriptures, the Old Testament, is making them wise unto salvation. Our common hope is already announced in the, in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus, who is our hope. Jesus is our hope. And this hope sets us apart from the world and the world's hope. And this is the hope that should unite the church, unite us to one another. Yes, there are differences of opinions and preferences, but Christian hope is grounded in the source, in God Himself, in His Word given to us, in the Lord Jesus Christ who unites us to God, unites us to one another. And so when an unbeliever asks you, what is the reason for the hope that is within you? Every Christian from a denomination that preaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's a Baptist brother, a Reformed brother, a non-denominational brother, they're Christian first and foremost, before we put that label there. They belong to Jesus and have a Christian hope that's grounded in Christ and Him crucified and risen. That's where our unity lies. In Christ. And the Old Testament scripture was written to feed the spiritual life of God's people. To open our hearts to the reality of our sin. And, and for God to perform that heart surgery on us. To encourage us. To build us up in the faith. You see it not only instructs intellectually. But it, it gets to the heart. It gets to the head and the heart. And brings about true transformation by the Spirit. It instructs the whole Christian. Paul prays that the God of Scripture imparts grace to grow in the hope of the union between himself and his people through the sacrifice of, of his son. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Literally. Literally, it says that you would be of the same mind with one another, that there would be a like-mindedness in one another. This word is also used in 2 Corinthians 13, that you would agree with one another, that you would agree with one another in the one hope that you have in Christ. When the gospel of hope in Christ is overshadowed by something else, 
there is disunity. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. When the gospel of hope in Jesus Christ is overshadowed by the works of man, by the man-made opinions and preferences of man, Christian unity is compromised. And it's the strong who owe it to the weak to always bring it back to the gospel, bring it back to the word, bring it back to the hope that we have in Christ. With the chief end being to glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a church, a church can have sound doctrine. A church can have awesome preaching. The best preacher in the world. But if they have not love, they are a clanging symbol. 1 Corinthians 13. On the opposite side, a church could have love according to the world's standards. Accept all, even if you don't agree with us doctrinally, which is in biblical love. And this church goes astray. Now the church is called to have biblical, true doctrine, but a doctrine that works itself out in love, in the spirit of love, in the spirit of Christ, who is love. This is where unity grows and flourishes in the church. This is when God is glorified. You see, this is the chief end or goal is to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one voice, one confession of faith. Let us glorify God together. As quickly, Paul stresses here the humanity of Jesus. Notice there, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus called God His God. He called His fa- God His Father. We too, are, we call God our Father. We call Him our God. And together with Christ, we glorify our God and Father. Together, as a congregation, a holy church, declaring, what does it mean to glorify God? It means that together with one voice, we magnify the greatness of God. We magnify His character. We magnify His works with our singing, with our thinking, with our meditation, with our lips, with our fellowship, with one voice, one confession, we glorify God. You see, we don't fellowship for the sake of fellowship. We are not a social club in the sense that we gather together as social beings to satisfy our needs socially. Are you following me? We're not a VFW. We're not a Legion's Club. We're not a bar. Maybe some of you remember the sitcom way back in the day called Cheers. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Knows that you have problems like you. You want to go where somebody relates to you and knows your name. We're not a social club in that sense. 
Yes, we gather together in fellowship. We socialize. But the body of Christ, Christian unity, its purpose, its chief end, is the glory of God. And the glory of God expresses itself through the people of God. And in doing so, that's when the people of God know fellowship and unity and love. Lastly, we're, we're, to, we're to please one another, we're to live in harmony with one another. Lastly, we're to welcome one another. The sermon began with the theme, it's going to end with this, with this point. And the grounds, Paul says, for welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, or as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. The ground for our welcoming or accepting one another is the crucified Christ who welcomes you through the cross, through the resurrection, through his ascension. That is through the perfect work of Christ. He accepted you, Christian, and all your weaknesses, and all your failings, and all your infirmities, and all your Weaknesses. But there's a significant difference between how Christ accepts sinners and how we accept one another. Christ accepts sinners through his blood, through his redemptive sacrifice, through his redemptive love. We cannot accept one another in such ways, but we accept one another because we have all known together the redemption of Jesus and his blood and are called, therefore, to accept one another through the one cross of Christ. We are united together under one Lord. That's the one and only way to fellowship with God. We accept one another because we belong to Christ and his body, and therefore we are called to Christian unity. With the chief end again, Again, the chief end of Christ's work in Christian unity is the glory of God. For Paul says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. That together God would be praised by the white hot worship of God's people. We often have this mindset where we come to worship. And this happens a lot in churches, especially in the western world. Where churches is all about me and my feelings, I come to get an inoculation, get that mountain high experience. I come to worship thinking this is all about me when in fact it's all about the Lord. It's all about His glory. And when it's all about His glory, then it becomes such a blessing to you and me. I'll close with this. Matthew Henry wrote, Christian liberty was allowed, not for our pleasure, but for the glory of God and the good of others. We must please our neighbor for the good of his soul, not by serving his wicked will and humoring him in a sinful way. If we thus seek to please men, we are not servants of Christ. Christ's whole life was a self-denying, self-pleasing life, 
And he, he who is the most advanced Christian, who is the most conformed to Christ. That is, he who is the most advanced, he who is strong in Christ, will be the one who is most conformed to Christ. With the great end in all our actions must be that God may be glorified. Nothing more forwards this than the mutual love and kindness of those who profess religion, that those agree, that agree in Christ may well agree among themselves. And this is to the glory of God. God is glorified when the church ministers to one another in such a way that they please one another the way the Bible, the Bible prescribes it, the way they live in harmony with one another, and the way they welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you and me. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow our head and our hearts before you, thankful for the ways in which you have strengthened us by grace through faith, we pray, O oh Lord, that you continue to build us up in the most holy faith, that you would unite us in love, in faith, and in hope. That together, as a body of believers, we would have our neighbor's best interest in mind and seek their good and seek the edification of their souls. And Father, we pray that in all these things, you would receive glory from your people that the praises of your people would resound. For you are great and greatly to be praised, and you are doing a wonderful work in your church. In fact, you are building your church, Lord Jesus, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And you use us as instruments in your hands to minister to one another and to build up the church using your word and discipling the nations. Oh, Father, grant us your help and your grace to enable us to live as those who belong to Christ, as those who please not ourselves, but please one another for the good and well-being and for the edification of our neighbor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But this time we're going to sing a hymn of application by turning in our songbook to 229. Jesus, sinners, doth receive. We're going to stand to sing the five stanzas, and it will be to a different tune. However, it will be a familiar tune. <laughs> 